Thank you for sharing with us today the beautiful picture of the Good Samaritan and, and the way that that Samaritan shared the love of God. We're going to talk about that today. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 10? And uh, I've titled my message, A Certain Lawyer Learned Who His Neighbor Is. And as we began to discover here today, the Lord Jesus Christ taught some wonderful, wonderful truths here in this parable as he was sharing with this lawyer. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, are we going to begin reading today. So with your Bibles open, would you stand with me as we read, starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read through the remainder of verse 37. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that seemed like a normal good question. What do you do to inherit eternal life. Luke is reminding us here that this lawyer is really trying to trick the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen what he says in verse 26. And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring out oil and wine. And he set him on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him 
who fell among the thieves. And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. What a tremendous story. Jesus is a great storyteller, is he not? One of the greatest of all greats teachers in the world. Father, thank you for your blessed word and for the way that you are able to speak to the hearts of people. And Lord, we pray that that's exactly what you will do here this morning. You'll speak to our hearts. And Lord, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that your word will convict us and counsel us and convert us. Oh, Father, we pray that you will be glorified and magnified by what is said here in this hour. We praise you and honor you today, and we ask your blessings upon this message this morning. In Jesus we pray, amen. Who is your neighbor? The lawyer said, who is my neighbor? That's a good question. Usually when we think about neighbors, we think about the person that lives next door to us. I like what Robert Frost once said. He said, good fences makes good neighbors. <laughs> and that might be the case on some situation. G.K. Chesterton said, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are the same people. That is so true. I, I love what this has said. This one person said this, To love the whole world for me is no chore. My only real problem is my neighbor next door. Well, I think it is very important for us to come to an understanding who our neighbor is. This is a familiar story. It's a story known as the Good Samaritan. We saw it greatly displayed here through our drama team just a few moments ago. But you'll notice in this passage of Scripture, it talks about a certain lawyer, talks about a certain priest, a certain Levite, a certain Samaritan, a certain man. And so here we're going to look at a certain lawyer. And this lawyer is being introduced to us today with this story of the Good Samaritan. Stuart Briscoe once said that, preferring to this passage of Scripture, he said, this is one of the world's superb short stories. I thought, that is so true. It is a superb short story. What I'd like for us to do this morning, I'd like for us to look at this superb short story for a few moments and gain some valuable, valuable lessons that I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, it was not only teaching this lawyer, but that he was teaching you and I today. Now we think about our neighbor. Let's think about it in three different aspects. 
First of all, you'll notice this neighborly love that was discussed with the lawyer. This story begins with this certain lawyer coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a lawyer, of course, is an expert. He's an expert of the law. Not only the law of the civil authorities of that hour, but also the laws of the land and the laws of the word of God. He was someone that read greatly and that he meditated and he studied the laws of that hour and of that day. A lawyer in those days was very, very devoted to law. And so this was just not an ordinary man. This was a, a person that was well-read and very intellectual. And he comes to before the Lord. And he begins to bring some questions to the Lord. You'll notice, first of all, there in verse 25, the question in which this lawyer approached the Lord Jesus Christ with. He says in verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, immediately, Dr. Luke tells us that this lawyer's Motives were impure. In other words, he's telling us that this lawyer was trying to trick the Lord Jesus Christ. He was putting him to a test. And he's trying to be acting very spiritual by saying, well, what does it take to inherit eternal life? Eternal life. Well, that's a good question. That's a very good question. What about eternal life? If we were to go from person to person today and to ask them, do you have eternal life? Do you understand what eternal life is all about? What about you? I think that's a great question that we need to ask ourselves today. Do I have eternal life? Do I understand what eternal life is? is all about. Well, I am so grateful to know and to be able to say with great joy in my heart today that that old account has been settled long, long ago. I understand that through the Lord Jesus Christ that he has given me eternal life, that it was a free gift, a gift that I did not earn, I did not deserve, and yet because of God's wonderful mercy and his wonderful grace. He gave me eternal life through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When I repented of my sins, I confessed him as my Lord and as my Savior. I'm grateful that I have eternal life and I can stand and give testimony today. I understand what eternal life is because I have eternal life. And I pray that you do. And if you don't, I pray that before the hour concludes today, that you will come and receive the wonderful gift of eternal life. So the question which he approached the Lord Jesus Christ was kind of rather arrogant. What do I have to do 
to inherit eternal life. I like the way the Lord Jesus responds. Jesus, the question that what Jesus does, that he questions with which Jesus answers the lawyer. He brings back a question with a question. The lawyer approached Jesus with a question. Jesus answered him with a question. Look what he says in verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? In other words, he said, you're a lawyer. You should know the law. What is written in the law? And listen what the Bible says, how this, this lawyer answers in verse 27. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting something that every Jew quotes twice a day coming out of the book of Deuteronomy. And you can see the Ten Commandments really sum up within these two great commandments. That is, I should love the Lord with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. And that I should love my neighbor. In other words, what he is talking about here, that these scriptures was a summary of God's law. The law and all is stated is summed up with our intimate relationship with a holy God. And then, of course, with our personal relationship with our fellow brother and sisters. Listen what he says in verse 28. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, now that's interesting. That's interesting that Jesus made such a statement that he made here. It's appearing that Jesus is saying that if you keep the law, you have eternal life. Now, you know as well as I know that by keeping the law does not give you eternal life. So what in the world is the Lord Jesus Christ talking about here? i tell you exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about you've tried to keep the law and you haven't been able to keep the law. And therefore, you need a Savior. See, the best of the best are not able to keep the law. There's only one that was able to keep the law. Only one that was perfect. Only one that was without blemish. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, that if you're able to keep the law, you don't need a Savior. But if you can't keep the law, you're in desperate need of a Savior. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ was telling him. (laughs) You know the law. And you know by example, you have not been able to keep the law. And so he was referring to 
that you need a Savior. And so what he was trying to do is get this lawyer to answer his own question. Getting him to realize that the only way to inherit eternal life is not keeping the law, but receiving Christ as Savior. And then he goes a step further. He says, in the process of answering to this lawyer, you'll notice he brings up the subject of neighborly love. He said, you shall love thy neighbor as thyself. There's another law that is impossible to keep. You may love your neighbor, but do you love him as yourself? I mean, I don't know much about you, but I promise you, I know this, that you love yourself. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. There's an instinct that is built in with us to love ourselves. That's the reason when I get hungry, I feed myself. When I get tired, I rest my body. When I get sleepy, I go to bed. I take care of this self person because I love him. But the Bible says that I am to love my neighbor as myself. How do you go about doing that? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, as being the great teacher that he is, he begins to expound upon this story. And he shares with him a parable which we know of today as the parable of the Good Samaritan. So first of all, you notice this neighborly love was discussed between the Lord Jesus Christ. Now secondly, you'll notice that the neighborly love was displayed. The Lord Jesus Christ does something that is so magnificent. Look what he says in verse 29. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? The word justify literally means to acquit. It literally means to vindicate himself. The lawyer knew exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ was talking about. And he knew exactly who Jesus was talking to. Jesus went straight to the heart of this lawyer. And Jesus had confronted him with his own failure as well as with his own need. Have you ever noticed that when we're confronted with our own failures that we sometimes like to justify our failures? Sort of reminds me one time about this guy. He picked up the paper, and every time he'd pick up the paper, he kept reading about the relationship between smoking and lung cancer. And it just disturbed him to no end. So he finally decided to do something about it. You know what he did? He canceled the paper. 
That's the way we are sometimes. We don't want to be confronted with the situation and we try to avoid. That's exactly what this lawyer was trying to do, to avoid what Jesus was trying to teach him. Now, what I'd like for to do for for a few moments is just go through this story of the Good Samaritan. And I'd like for us to identify these different characters of this story. First of all, you'll notice the adversity of the traveler. The Bible says in verse 30, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed and leaving him half dead. Now, I want you to try to get the picture of the road of the, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. This particular road was notorious of out in the desolate country. It was notorious of where robbers and bandits would would hide and they would steal and they would kill. The road from the sea level from Jerusalem to uh, to sea level was 2,300 feet. Jericho was another 1,300 feet. In other words, there was a 3,600-foot road deep as, the, as you would travel from Jericho to Jerusalem. A steep road that wound and through a very narrow passages in certain places. And there, as they would narrow in those certain places, just like this certain man was traveling, he came among robbers. And the Bible says he fell among thieves. They encompassed him. They surrounded him. They beat him. And they tried to kill him. They wounded him, the Bible says. This was a very unfortunate traveler to illustrate to those who encounter trouble. It came upon him unexpectedly. Have you ever not noticed that life is a lot like that? That trouble comes upon us unexpectedly. You get up in the morning and the sun is shining and the phone rings and all of a sudden darkness prevails. All of a sudden, sadness comes into the heart. That's what James said as he talked about such a thing. He says, my brother, in James chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Unexpected situations. It speaks of people experiencing an an unexpected tragedy in their life. That's exactly what happened to this traveler. Minding his own business, and all of a sudden, he finds himself encountered with a bunch of thieves. 
But let's go back and let's look at the ones that who came to his side during the time of this particular situation. We notice the adversity of this traveler, but also I want you to notice the attitude of the priest and the Levite. The parable continues showing us of how other people oftentimes respond to those that are in need. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 31. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, it seems rather strange. You'd think of all the people that would respond to the need of someone, it would be a priest. This priest comes, and he sees this traveler, wounded, His body is broken. He's half dead. And the Bible says that the priest hardly even stops and looks at him. Now, I think it could be for several reasons. Probably this priest is on his way to Jerusalem to carry out ceremonial rites. And there were laws of that particular day that a priest should not touch a dead person. For if he touches a dead person, that he would be contaminated and be unfit to carry out ceremonial rites. So it possibly could have been that this priest was on his way of carrying out that ceremonial rite. Who knows? I don't know for sure, but that's possibly what could have happened. And then there's... The Bible talks about there was a Levite. A Levite comes and he looks at the man. And once again, just like the priest, he doesn't tend to the needs of that man. He stops, he looks at him, but he has no sympathy whatsoever upon this traveler who was in such a terrible fix as he was. I don't know about you, but when I look at society, it seems as if there's a little bit of a priest and a Levite attitude in all of us. We don't want to get involved. We don't want to touch the down and out. We don't want to Help those that are hurting sometimes. Why is that? Sort of reminds me when I think about this situation, about a lady by the name of Kitty Komorski. Kitty had left her automobile and walked a short distance to her apartment one night. And as she was walking to her apartment, there was a guy that was waiting for her in the bushes. And he attacked her. And he raped her. And there she is, 
screaming and hollering, and 38 people watched from their windows. As she screamed and hollered for help, not one single person of the 38 responded to her. Not one single person called the police. And eventually the guy murdered her. Raped her and murdered her and not one single person helped her. It reminds me of Andrew Momali. Andrew Momali was an 18-year-old boy on the subways of New York City. And they were a gang that had walked in on that subway. And they had attacked Andrew. And they had a knife. And they began to stab him. There were 11 people on that subway. And not one single person moved, tried to help, or tried to assist. Even after those thugs left that subway, there him laying in the pool of his own blood. Not one single person of those 11 came to his help. How horrible, how terrible that would be. And yet, are we not living in a society such as that today? Like the Levite, like the priest. But oh, I'm so grateful there was a Samaritan. And you'll notice the affection of that Samaritan. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, notice what he said, he had compassion. Others lacked passion, but this particular person had passion, compassion. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 34. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. What a man of compassion not only responded to the need of that man, but he said, I'm willing to go the extra mile that if there is more needs that he has, I'm willing to pay for it. Now, I understand. I understand that this particular person that was walking down that road from Jerusalem to Jericho, he probably had been warned not to go by yourself down that road. It was commonly known that you always go in groups and not by yourself. And so it was almost as if that he was asking for it. There are people today that get in trouble today simply because of their own actions. 
But there's a lot of people today that are in trials and tribulations. It's not because of their doing, but because of circumstances and happenstances. I think about the wife that is at home where the husband leaves her. I think about the children where the husband and the father has abandoned them. They're in need. That is where the church comes and surrounds them and supports them. I think about the mom and the dad who has a wayward son or a daughter. I think about the hardship that they're going through. That's where the church needs to come and surrounds them and loves them and show compassion upon them. Oh, my friend, do you not understand that we are a family of God and that we are to minister and take care of the needs of those that are in need? We should have a Samaritan's heart Oh, friend, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he was teaching him. But it comes to the third part of this story. Of neighbor, of, thirdly, is neighborly love directed. Look what he says in verse 36 and 37. To which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. The lawyer had asked, who is my neighbor? And the Lord says, well, who do you think he is? And he answers his own question. The answer is very obvious. The one that had compassion upon those was the neighbor. The Samaritan had been the neighbor. The neighbor was the one who was in adversity and the Samaritan is the one who came and rescued him in that time of need. So he defines that definition of what a neighbor is all about. He explains to you who your neighbor is. You may know him or you may not know him. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Dallas, Texas for the Southern Baptist Convention. And I was having dinner with my son and my daughter-in-law and my grandson. And we were sitting at the table and I was looking outside where the window was right beside of us. And there was a man that came up to the window. And I've always been kind of leery about some of these some of these people that you find on the side of the road sometimes they're asking for handouts and I wonder do they want a handout for to buy more alcohol or to buy more drugs? And so I have a little skepticism about that. I have to admit that. But on this particular night, it seemed to be different. There was a guy that came to the window. 
And he did like this. I'm hungry. And I thought to myself, my goodness. Here I am sitting at a down, sitting down at a nice table, enjoying my meal and enjoying my company. And here's a guy's hungry right outside the window. been a long time that something that disturbed me as much as it did me that particular day I did like this I said wait just a moment I got out of my seat and I went outside and there he was he said I hate to admit it he said but I'm hungry he said I hadn't eaten in two days He said, do you think that you could give me the leftovers of your meal? And I thought, my, I'm not going to give him my leftovers. I said, you wait right here just for a moment. I uh, went inside and I told the uh, waiter, I said, I want you to prepare this particular meal for me. I had prepared that meal, or he prepared that meal, and I took it back out to him. This guy was probably about the age of my youngest son. As I handed him the meal, tears was running down his cheeks. And he thanked me. He started to walk away, and then he came back, and he said, there's a shelter down the, ha- down, the, uh, down the road. And he said, I can go there for $12 a night. He said, I know you probably don't want to give me any money. He said, but I don't have any money. He said, I haven't had a bath, and I can't tell you how many days. If I could have $12 from you, I could go get a good night's sleep and get a bath. Well, I gave him $12. $12, what is $12? I could throw $12 away easily. But I will never forget what that guy did as he embraced me. When he put his arms around me, you could smell the stench that was upon him. But his tears that ran down his cheeks, I'll never forget. I didn't tell you that story to exalt me. I told you the story that for the reason is that God allows us sometimes to come before some people that are in need, that are our neighbor, and that God wants us to be used by Him to show love and to share love. That blessed my heart that night. Now, whether he went and got used to $12 or 
for the shelter or not. I don't know. I pray that he did. Whether he took the money and went and bought him a bottle of wine, he may have done that. I don't know. But I did what God told me to do. And that was what is important. And my friend, I want you to be sensitive to that. I want you to be sensitive that God sometimes will do something out of the ordinary to define neighborly love. But there's a second thing, and I'm going to close. The duty of neighborly love. Look what he says in verse 37. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do likewise. In other words, what Jesus was saying here, now that you know who your neighbor is, go and be a neighbor to those who are in adversity. Go and be a neighbor. There's a lady by the name of Marion Priminger. In 1913, she was born in a very aristocratic family in England. She had chauffeurs, had butlers, had maids. She had the finest of all things that you could possibly imagine in society. In fact, her grandmother, when they would go uh, on a trip, during that particular time, they took their own sheets because that they were too good to sleep between the sheets of a common man who had once slept underneath those sheets. This particular lady, she met a young doctor at 18 and who was very, very wealthy, and she lived with him for about 18, I mean, she lived with him for one year, When she was 19, she divorced him. Later on, she continued to live in that high society. She married Otto Preminger, which was a famous movie director in England. Married him. Once again, received all the wealth that you could possibly imagine. She made a statement one time. She said, all I ever wanted was everything that I could ever get. But I never was satisfied. I never was satisfied. She had read about Albert Schweitzer. And she had divorced Otto Preminger. And she was contemplating suicide. And as she read about Otto Preminger, I mean, as she read about Schweitzer, she made an appointment to be interviewed by him. And she told him, I want to go with you when you go back to Africa. Now, can you imagine one that lived in pristine ways of society? to go and to be with Albert Schweitzer there in the dark jungles of Africa. But she goes. Now she is now changing diapers 
of natives. She is ministering to leopards. She is helping those that would be considered helpless. In 1979, she died. Her obituary said this. Albert Schweitzer said, there's two classes of people in this world, the helpers and the non-helpers. She died as a helper. I want to ask you a question. Are you a helper or a non-helper? We're confronted every day, no doubt, whether we're going to be a Samaritan, a Levite, or a priest. Who is our neighbor? My friend, I promise you, you're going to come in contact with somebody this coming week where God's going to allow you to show some neighborly love. Father, in Jesus' name, Your word is very convicting. So many times...